0: You know the craziest thing I saw the other night um, against El Salvador was was Gio taking a corner kick and they had those three guys with the, with the holding up the barriers and I was thinking where were those guys in the '90s? Nick? We we would get pummeled with uh, all kinds of stuff. I think the craziest thing that ever happened though was in Costa Rica um, at Saprissa Stadium, which was a terrible field. It was like cement with grass growing through it, um, and what we our mistake was, we thought it would be a good idea to just go out on the field prior to the game. You know, like you normally do, just walk around with, with a headset and just kind of check out your surroundings. And we were wearing our nice white you know, national team polos and, and the Costa Ricans weren't really in the stadium yet but they had climbed the trees uh, that could overlook and they were shooting uh, slingshots of calves blood in a bag with a battery. So that's so the battery would give it the, the enough you know enough weight to, to so Paul Calzuri gets hit by one of these and he actually thinks he's shot and I'm down I'm hit you know it was one of those and blood went everywhere and we were scared to death we ran inside the, uh, trying to figure out what the hell happened I mean it was it was it was wild
1: live from our man caves in Virginia Beach this is MLS Gone Wild. Where Blem and Mike D bring you the latest news, rumors, analytics, predictions, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going, Blem.
2: Hello and welcome to MLS Gone Wild, Season 3, Episode 20. This is your host, Blem.
1: Listeners, thank you for joining us once again for another episode. We had an unlucky streak with some guests the past few weeks, but we're back. This is your co host, Mike D.
2: On this week's episode of MLS Gone Wild, we are joined by the first ever goal scorer in Major League Soccer, the fourth leading goal scorer in U.S. men's national team history, the first American-born player to play in the German Bundesliga, National Soccer Hall of Fame inductee, and host of the brand new podcast, For the Win, Eric Winalda. Eric, welcome to MLS Gone Wild.
0: Hey, it's a pleasure to be with you guys.
2: Of course. How are you doing tonight?
0: I'm good. I'm actually coming to you from the studios that they just built here in the wind, um, which are so impressive. I'm just honored to be a part of the crew, but we get things kicked off uh, in a hurry here. So I'm going to be quite busy with the podcast, but I'll be in your guys' world. But it's uh, it's, it's pretty fun. We uh, we have some some cool aspirations. We some great graphics, like unbelievable staff here. I mean, I mean, you guys are doing this on your own. I'm, I'm going to have a whole crew of people. It's like, it's like being back at a network, but it'll be fun.
2: Awesome. So, where can people listen and find you?
0: So, Blue Wire right now is is the best place to find us. You know, I'm I'm so so green on this. I don't even know where to to push people. Uh, we've only been doing some uh, soft uh, opening promotions at this point. But uh, it's it's uh, if, you, if you look up Blue Wire, you'll find me, and then you'll eventually see a, a log of, of of all of these. So, I mean, there's football. I mean, and, and the gambling aspect is a part of Blue Wire. So. Uh, as this company builds, uh, hopefully I'll, I'll build a pretty good audience with this as well. All
2: right. Well, drop a good word for us if you, if you like this interview.
0: Already will. I, I I'll make sure that you will be a part in some way, shape, or form of my uh, uh, first podcast. So MLS Gone Wild will be on there somewhere. Appreciate oh. you, Eric. All
2: right. So let's open this episode with some positive vibes and U.S. Men's National Team story time. We decided to hit up your ex-teammates and in- old guests on this show, Marcelo Balboa and Alexi Lalas, for some insight into who Eric Winaldo was behind the scenes in his playing days. They both shared stories about you and beer. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's hear it. All right, so Marcelo was having a hard time remembering, but when you had mono, how many cases of beer did you have stacked up in your room? What kind was it, and did it help?
0: Tour's light, um, and we did a 12-pack for every week. Uh, I think we got into uh, 14 weeks. That's, that's as far as it went, but uh, knowing my team, I mean, that beer was gone, you know, I don't know, (laughs) four four weeks into the season. So it was, it was good to stock up. It was, uh, it was a joke that started with a guy named Brian Finnerty, uh, who uh, we call him Goose, but he, he, he's a a really successful businessman now in in Detroit, but he was our crazy goalkeeper with a Mohawk and he, he thought it would be a good idea to, Give me incentive to get well uh, to get healthy. That was his incentive because he was uh, he knew I looked, I like cool light and tequila. So that's that's a true story.
1: Yeah, you know what they say rubbing alcohol on the outside heals wounds, and then alcohol on the inside of the body heals wounds too, right?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm actually a firm believer that if I really want to lose weight, I should continue to drink a little tequila before I go to bed every night. That's my thing. I don't uh, I don't care about the science on that one. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> I feel
2: we'll the same. <laughs> I feel the same way about a glass of wine. But during it's, Alexi.
0: I just don't want to end up with, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson knows. That's the only thing I'm worried about there, but I, I'll stick to the <laughs> <laughs> All
2: right. So during Alexi's first U.S. men's national team camp, do you remember one of your first encounters? He said something yeah, about was, beers was, in
0: a hot tub. It was, it was in a um, it, they, He was coming from Rutgers, and I think Dante Washington was with him, who's still a part of the Columbus crew. Um, and. They were all nervous and 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 worried about all this stuff and, and being on the national team and they just needed to calm down. We just happened to be in one of those uh, hotels that had an indoor jacuzzi, and there was a bar right there. And I just got three three Coors Lights. There it is again. And we uh, we just calmed them down and and I it was it actually worked. I think uh, Dante scored uh, on that deal on that trip and I think Alexi did too. So we had a two game spill against. Canada and Mexico. Uh, I think we tied and won, and and Dante uh, had a good trip. So I, I I sent him on the the wrong direction right from the start. It was a it was a good bad move by by me, but I was just trying to get a rookie to calm down.
2: Those are awesome stories. But Eric, do you have any other untold stories you'd like to share?
0: About those guys or about or, me or any, I mean
2: any anything with the U.S. Men's National Team, man. Any crazy stories that you can remember and just haven't got off your chest in a while?
0: Yeah. You know, the funny thing is we're going through let's let's keep it in in the the qualification um, uh, realm because, you know, the craziest thing I saw the other night um, against El Salvador was was Gio taking a corner kick and they had those three guys with the the holding up the barriers. And I was thinking, where were those guys in the 90s? We we would get pummeled with uh, all kinds of stuff. I think the craziest thing that ever happened, though, was in Costa Rica. Um, at Saprissa Stadium, which was a terrible field. It was like cement with grass growing through it. Um, and what we, our mistake was, we thought it would be a good idea to just go out on the field prior to the game. You know, like you normally do, just walk around with, with a headset and just kind of check out your surroundings. And we were wearing our nice white you know, national team polos and, and the Costa Ricans weren't really in the stadium yet, but they had climbed the trees. Uh, that could overlook, and they were shooting uh, slingshots of calves' blood in a bag with a battery. So that's so the battery would give it the, the enough you know enough weight to. to you know. So Paul Calzuri gets hit by one of these, and he actually thinks he's shot. And I'm down, I'm hit. You know, it was one of and blood went everywhere. And we were scared to death. We ran inside, the, uh, trying to figure out what the hell happened. I mean, it was it was it was wild. Costa Rica. On my podcast, I think I'm going to do my top 10 worst places to go in Con- CONCACAF. And Saprissa is number one. And everybody thinks it's Azteca or somewhere. No, Saprissa is the worst place to go and play a soccer game if you're American. And it, and it's weird because when you show up, we all think of Costa Rica as this great little place. And people go surfing there. And the, the hotels are always nice. And the people are great. You walk in. Everybody's super, super cool. You go to the... the um, the mall. You go for a walk, and everybody's oh, it's so good to see you. They "Dude, the game starts, and those people pull their faces off. They all turn into like devils, and they want to kill you. And it's like, it's like it's that you've you've walked into the the you know, what what did they used to call that? What was that movie? The Thunderdome. I mean, you you actually <laughs> feel like the fear of your life. And the, the the one thing you cannot do is go for a throw-in, because if you go for a throw-in, you'll get covered in spit, and it's wow. and actually got a yellow card in one of those games because i refused to throw the ball and i said i'm gonna wait till they run out of spit for i'm going over there and he goes and he gave me a yellow for that but it, it it's a different world uh we're going through qualification now there's just so much uh it's so much better jamaica actually has a a, a good surface uh costa rica has, has made things better um the, the flights in and out are better because they're in a um chartered uh, plane we were flying coach in middle seats, you know i mean that's 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 really the way it worked. We would go to Miami, train for a couple of days and then get on a plane and and be sitting next to some guy with a or some lady with a baby i mean that's that's the, that was our preparation so um it's just different. The guys are a little bit more pampered, which is nice, but at the same time um man, I don't know if this group could handle what we went through it It was rough
1: wow. That's uh, truly amazing stories. Thank you for sharing those. But you talked about, you know, kind of how you navigate CONCACAF, and we'll get into that a little bit later in the episode. So now we're going to transition a little bit. Um, usually we open the show up with our goals of the week, but let's talk about the 1996 MLS goal of the year. You scored 36 goals in, in Bundesliga and Bundesliga 2 and, and scored a 30-yard upper 90 free kick against Switzerland in the 1994 World Cup before signing with the San Jose Clash in the inaugural season of MLS. 88 minutes into the first ever MLS match, you scored the first goal in league history. So walk us through that historical moment and what it meant to you personally to score that first MLS goal um, in MLS history.
0: Well, I mean, if you, if you go back in time and you remember the reception we got from the media, um, there was a lot of uncertainty about you know, what MLS was going to look like. So this was everybody's first chance to, to – you know past judgment on what the the level was i mean there was a lot of speculation no one knew what it would look like um it was at san jose spartan stadium which actually had if you remember the poles that were in the way of the actual camera angles they had to paint them green so you didn't notice but you, if you were really paying attention you saw it but um you know I, what i remember most is just how nervous everybody was about the result being zero zero and about coming out of the gates with something that was boring or something that wasn't entertaining. And um, that, you know, and we answered so many questions about that. And so my thought process was kind of strange because I, th- I thought Victor Maya should have scored twice before he even got to that, that point. I mean, I, I still don't know how he missed. But, you know, Jeff Causey was the goalkeeper. Uh, D.C. United was our, our opponent. I knew a bunch of guys on that team, Thorley and John Harks, and, and, you know, basically that's your very first look at, at, at the league. I don't think TSRSA played in that game, I think. Uh, uh, but I know Richie Williams did and uh, Eric Himmler. But I remember everything about, about what their setup was. But it was, um, it was a good team. And Bruce, Bruce Arena was the coach. And we got to that 88th minute. And I remember that as the thing pl- un- unfolded and the ball came to me, um, it just it was great because it really was just it validated a lot of things with me, like just just how much work you put into the game, how how you wait for those moments. And this was really my moment to say, look, I've been at, at playing in the Bundesliga. I have played at a really high level. This is a big moment, but this is where I got to go back to just trusting myself, slowing everything down um, and, and just finding the corner. The truth is, is, I swear to God, guys, I was going low. And the damn thing popped up on me. <laughs> so if I would have gone high, we wouldn't be, be having this conversation. I probably would have put it in the 15th row. But as soon as I hit it, it started to float on me. And I did have an, an oh crap moment. And then I realized, oh, good, that's, still, that's staying down. <laughs> that's going in. And it was just, it was just really cool. because it, it sucked for Jeff because we're friends and everything. But um, I'm really proud of that goal. I'm proud of it because I recognized it in the moment as a big moment. And then... When it was came time to shoot, I, I didn't lose my nerve. I I, I went back to what I've been you know, training myself to do, and that's to you know to find the back of the net. It's funny, but I mean the first goal I scored in in um, Germany is identical. It's the it's same goal, but it's against Oliver Kahn. But it's 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 the same goal. It's to cut back inside, find the corner, and uh, for those reasons, I'm just proud of it. You know, I'm proud, and it was great. You even Sneel Gallati said something nice about me for once. So it was it was. It was uh, a cool moment after the game. Um, Jurgen Klinsmann, believe it or not, was my first phone call. He woke me up at about seven thirty in the morning to congratulate me. We were both we both worked for Reebok at the time, and uh, it's just it's still a great memory. It really is, and it's I'm just glad it went in, man. I, if we would have ended zero zero, the press would have had a field day with how soccer's boring. But it was a big moment. Uh, I think there were better goals scored that year, uh, if you really want to, you know. Be honest, I think I think McBride's goal was better, but um mine was more important and, and for those reasons I think uh I think that's why I got that trophy. So
1: I'm proud, yeah, of, we, it. Yeah, I'm
0: proud yeah, of it. I'm proud of it. Yeah.
1: You absolutely should be proud of it. I mean, we would have never been able to tell that it was uh mishit because it looked like you hit it just the way you no, wanted no, to. No,
0: just you know, just leave it, you
1: know. <laughs> Someone's gonna see this, right? Just yeah, it. right. <laughs> but but while we're on the topic of goals, uh, you know, we mentioned your nineteen ninety four World Cup goal. But mentioning it, you know, just talking about it doesn't do it justice. I mean, you got to see this thing, right? You know, you tied in the group stage against Switzerland with an upper 90 bar down free kick in the 44th minute. I mean, t- tell us about that. What were your most, I mean, that was just an absolute stunner. Well, here's, here's
0: what's crazy, right? And this has happened a few times. Um, it was not the plan for me to shoot. Uh, Claudio Reina was 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 having a a, a great stint for us he was our youngest player i think he was 20 at the time and he was slated to um, uh, play in that first game but he tore his hamstring two days before the game so everything with everything going on we really didn't have much of a plan so when john got fouled uh, we were you know, it's, a, it's a ways out you know but i had been taking free kicks in germany uh, i hadn't scored one but i hit the crossbar like five times right so there's a funny story behind that. I had two buddies uh, Tommy me about Hazen and Thomas Stratos back home, at, back in Germany, who had a, a bet that I would hit the crossbar. And then they, they were saying, well, you said he wouldn't score. You said he would score. So they, they never paid each other off on the bet. But when the, when, he, when the actual foul happens, Tab says, he walks past and says, just put it on goal and don't embarrass us. He literally said that. <laughs> Marcelo said, do you want to just push it to me and I'll hit it? It's too far out. And I go into this zone. If you ask the guys, I just I just was like, I'm not listening to anything or anybody. Uh, and I chose to, to hit it. Now, the, the backstory on this, guys, is there's a kid named Brian Willie. OK, he was our equipment manager. He traveled with us everywhere we went the night before the game. I against the coach's wishes, wanted to hit a couple free kicks. On that, on, that, um, on that grass because I didn't know what the field was like. If I don't hit those three practice free kicks before, the night before, I wouldn't have known that the ball carried a little bit more and I probably would have hit it over. So in the moment where I was taking the free kick, I was thinking to myself, man, the ball flies in here. Don't over hit it. Don't get all caught up in this. Just focus and hit it. If you watch the actual shot, it's weird because as soon as I hit it, I don't, I, my, I actually, the leg comes up and it goes straight back down, which I've never done before, again in my life. It's just not something you do. But I hit it so perfect that I just, it was like a great golf shot. As soon as I hit it, I was like, holy, this is going in. If he gets there, he gets there. But I hit that perfect. And when it goes in, I think the first person that I, I, I didn't know what to do. It was a celebration. I didn't have a planned celebration in there yet. But I remember thanking that kid, Brian Willie. For, for getting in trouble with me, bringing my shoes and bringing a ball and, and getting in trouble with the coach um, because it, it paid off. I mean, it, it really was uh, you know, a perfect shot. It's like the one time in my life where I hit the ball exactly where I wanted it to go. And, and I couldn't have picked a better time to do it. The, the one thing that was really cool about that moment was how loud that place got. I know that place is gone now, but people still to this day, um, like to remind me of where they were when that happened, or like if they were in the stadium. Some people actually went back when they tore the stadium down and went back and got their seats from the actual place where they were. My buddy Eddie Smith, I think, did that. He was the GM and president in Atlanta. But um, that was the loudest I've ever heard. I thought it felt like it was heart stopping. I mean, it really was so loud that it affected you. It almost felt like it lifted you, and it was insane. I remember running over to the sideline and I winked at some girl in the front row. That's what I did. I didn't know what I was to. Act, I didn't know what to do, so I was trying to act cool. You know, I was like like that, and I mean, maybe I look like a weirdo now. But I, it, it, the, the truth was, it, it was just. I'd like to know who that person is. If she's out there somewhere, she's the only person that knows that that happened, because I was tr- so busy not knowing what to do that I just went like tried to be cool, and she you know, reached over to her mom and said, "He winked at me. He winked at me. Like, I could see that." But that's all I remember from that. It was uh, it was an unbelievable moment and it lifted the team actually a lot because man that game wasn't going great um what was his name Berge scored that their free kick and then we could have won the game but that gave us the momentum going into columbia that we were we were going to be okay and uh, of course the columbia game was was off the hook
2: yeah thank goodness you tried to keep that free kick low right just like you did yeah. for your first goal in mls <laughs> Yeah, the first goal. Of, it's, too, it's funny how those two have a lot to do with each other. I and mean, then we play against Colombia, and I hit the damn post. If
0: that thing goes in, I don't know what happens in my life. If I have two goals in two games in a World Cup, I probably would have ended up back then. I probably would have ended up in Italy or somewhere crazy. But uh, yeah, no, it was it was uh, it, it's funny. But and I tell kids this all the time is when repetition training is very important. So when you when you're learning how to hit a ball, most coaches they'll coach kids and they'll get in lines and then they'll shoot and they'll miss or they'll score, and then they get a run back, and they get to wait so much time before they shoot again. And the reality is, is your body has the ability to correct things if you do it right away. So I tell kids all the time, if you're going to shoot, get five or six in a row and make those corrections with each one, usually the third and fourth one's the best, but um, which is actually the same thing with this, because if I don't take those three practice shots the day before, the third one doesn't go in. So who knows?
2: Yeah, muscle memory. But of those two goals, which one stands out as more important in your career? Um,
0: I know this is weird, but probably the MLS goal because there was so much um, negative energy going into that game. It was so important that we got off to a good start. I don't know how much of an effect it had in the in the the overall long haul of things, but um, to me, uh, it 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 was uh, it was just a, a real slice a moment in time where where I'm just proud of it you know I'm proud of it because that's what I was brought back home to do was to be able to provide moments like that and you know it, in in the moment that mattered I I was able to deliver so thank god
2: yeah that's that's awesome and now 26 years later MLS is prospering growing out of control to be honest with you but we won't go down that route because we don't have enough time for all that but,
1: <laughs> yeah, not but only you did you
2: that's okay not only did you score 34 goals for the U.S. men's national team, your decade of service for your country earned you accolades such as Honda U.S. Player of the Decade, CONCACAF All-Decade Team, and National Soccer Hall of Fame inductee. So you obviously took great pride in playing for the U.S. men's national team, but describe what it meant for you to put on the Stars and Stripes kit and represent your country on the world stage for a decade.
0: You know, it's – it's. um that player of the decade thing was 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 really um, um, incredible because all my, my teammates voted for that, so I was voted by my my teammates, not the media, not you know anybody on the outside. So that that's why that meant a, a lot. I actually ended up. Somebody told me this later that I ended up scoring the first goal of the decade for the national team and the last goal of that decade, which which is just pure luck and coincidental. But one was it, in Morocco, when I was Frankie Hedoux, roommate and he got sick drinking too much tea and i'll never forget that night but uh and the first one i think was uh columbia on february 2nd or 4th um in a in the marble cup which was on, in 1990 so you know it was it, when you sorry about the noise i've got people in the studio but they don't know i'm here or what i'm doing but um is it too much so i told no, them you're okay now they have no idea that i'm on this thing but um I need to tell them to be quiet. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll just get through it. They'll figure it out. So uh, w- one of the things that, that I would say about playing for your national team is that the reality of, of what the job entails is when you do put on the jersey and, and you represent your country, guys have different reactions to it. You know, it, it's when you played for your country for a whole decade, you can imagine how many guys I saw come and go. And the guys that didn't stick were always had this one common denominator, and that was the fact that they couldn't handle it. They couldn't handle uh, just the overall realities of what that means to stand with your hand on your heart and and play for this country. Just I mean, we know that 360 million people are watching, but that's how many people you're representing. And some people really lost it. Especially you, you could hear their heartbeat when you're doing the national anthem. You had to go, dude, you're all right. I mean it. It's just El Salvador we're going to be fine, don't worry about it. We can play you know France or Germany, but I think when you, when you when you look at the team of the '90s and the personalities, um, we were we were really blessed to have uh, amazing characters in that team and I, I, I even go into that frame of mind sometimes not to be the old guy on the lawn, but I, I don't think that there's ever been a better winger in this country than Ernie Stewart, even if you took Ernie Stewart. Stewart today, he makes this team every day, even with Gio there, even with Pulisic. You figure out a way to get Ernie Stewart on the field. Now, did he play for a big club? No, none of us did. That, and all, the fact that all these guys are playing for big clubs now gives us this, the impression that, that maybe they're better than what they are. So it, it's when you play for your country um, and you play in these kind of games, qualifiers, World Cups, uh, and we went through a lot. We went through, a, we, we've had some growing pains as players and as coaches. Uh, we imploded in 98. Uh, and there's reasons for that. Um, we delivered to a certain extent in 94. We were great in 95. Uh, but, you know, the, the negative impact that the start of the, the MLS had on us as national team players was incredible. I mean, everybody got hurt because we were playing on a Saturday for our club and on Sunday for our country. Imagine that now. I mean that just doesn't happen. We're we're sitting here going, oh my God, three games in in nine days. How are we going to handle this? We were playing four or five games in three days, so it's like, dude, you know, give us a break, or the other way around, three and four or five days. But it, you know what I mean. And so it's we were so enthusiastic about starting the league and getting you know getting everybody um, excited about that that we really we really sacrificed our bodies. I mean, guys like Tab Ramos is, and my myself, we, our careers ended early because. Our bodies just couldn't take that kind of punishment, um, but you know, all in all, you play for your country, and you you have to have the ability to really trust yourself as a, as if, whatever your your skill set was or what your role is. Um, when you get that chance, you you have to grab it with both hands. You can't be hesitant. You can't be scared, um, and and that's regardless of who you're playing against. I mean, in '95, I think we beat. 95 and 96. I mean, you can think about it. I mean, Colombia, Russia, Argentina, Brazil. I mean, Mexico twice. It, it's, it's, it's um, as as much as things have have changed, they've stayed the same. That we still have the abilities to do these kind of things, but we have a different perception about what uh, what talent looks like. But when you're playing for a country again, um, you got to have that skill set, but you also have to have that mindset, or it does not work. It does not work, and you find out in a hurry who can do it and who can't.
2: Yeah, you guys laid the foundation for where we are currently, and we're going to get into this current team just after the break. So listeners, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, At A Time Outfitters. Stick around because after the break, we will analyze the U.S. Men's National Team's first two World Cup qualifying results and preview the upcoming match away at Honduras. You won't want to miss this conversation. We'll be back in 60 seconds.
1: We all love the beautiful game. We spend countless hours watching, tweeting, discussing, playing, and talking about the sport. And we all have our favorite memories when our teams made history. Moments like Liverpool's miracle in Istanbul, or Celtic's 2-1 triumph over arguably the best Barca side ever. Those moments that keep us coming back for more. But what if you could carry those moments with you all the time? At a time outfitters create soccer inspired wristbands to let you wear those memories on your wrist. Each reversible elastic design gives supporters of the beautiful game a unique way to rep their favorite team in any setting. With wristbands for your favorite teams from across Europe, the USA, and beyond, each Added Time design incorporates a 90-minute story from that famous match. Check out all 24 of Added Time Outfitters' current designs on the web at www.addedtime.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Added Time Outfitters.
2: Welcome back to MLS Wild Season 3, Episode 20, featuring U.S. men's national team legend, Eric Winalda. Head over to AddedTimeOutfitters.com for all your soccer-inspired wristbands and apparel. Use code Wild, all one word, at checkout for 10% off your entire order. We are looking for a nine-point week. Bottom line, we want to set the standard. That's what Tyler Adams had to say ahead of their first World Cup qualifier versus El Salvador. Two games into the cycle, and the U.S. Men's National Team have earned just two points from two draws: zero zero to El Salvador away, and one to one to Canada at home. Eric, let's start with you. What are your thoughts on the first two matches of qualifying? Are you scared that we're haunted by the ghosts of Cuba, or is it damn right just not good enough?
0: Well, that's that's those are two options that I, I think uh, this this is a, a, a broader conversation, um, and I've been I, I've actually spoken to. Uh, Greg Berhalter a few times, even once today, uh, back and forth on the text. We've given up on text messaging. What we do now is we do that audio text where we just hit the button and talk for a few minutes and then hang up because we're always driving. I'm always driving and he's always working. But um, look, I I think I think everyone's beating up Greg right now. It is unreal. It's 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 kill Greg, F Greg. I mean, how many times you got to see it? Um, And there's 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 a part of this that needs to be explained. When you look at the team, when you look at everything that has happened, when you look at these two results, of course we're gonna be on edge and we're gonna say it's not good enough. And of course it's not good enough. But the first game against El Salvador, I called out Weston McKinney. And apparently I was right when it comes to uh, what I was seeing because it didn't look right. Something was off with him. And uh, this whole new uh, um, suspension and send him home and, and violating COVID protocol Uh, I think I think Greg actually made a comment about it today about what exactly did happen. Um, But here's here's the problem, guys. When you look at our team and you look at at guys like like Tyler Adams, who who had some very appropriate things to say about how good he thinks we are and how important this is. And you have Geo's not the best performance. And then he pulls his hamstring, um, which is a little bit like dad, by the way, Uh, that happened a lot with his dad's career. And then you don't have the ability to see uh, Weston and uh, Christian Pulisic play together. Right. So we were waiting for those four and we only got two. And now we only looks like we're, we're, we're going to have two again. Um, and everyone's going to be worried about Tyler Adams and his, but dude, that guy's got an engine. He, the, the guy's broken every single record that you could possibly break when it comes to fitness uh, and testing the U S national teams, not worried about him, but El Salvador plays brave, okay? They got a coach that knew what to say to them and Hugo Perez. Uh, we didn't play particularly bad, but we didn't play great. But we did not play brave. We didn't. We didn't. We went there. We kind of let the game happen. Then we play against Canada, and we play way too narrow. We don't get the ball wide. We don't utilize the spaces the way we can. Too worried about Alfonso Davies, and then he ends up burning us uh, in, in the end. Uh, we didn't have the ability to, to have an alternate plan. And, that, and that's, that's really my message to the team, uh, or even to Greg, for that matter, is we gotta have a plan B, man. We have to be able to, to change things on the fly, and we're gonna get at people wide. We have to figure out ways to create more space for Christian Pulisic. We can't just throw the whole world on his back, a piano and two semis, and say, carry us again. It's not good enough. We have to have people willing to make unselfish runs to get him in the pockets where he can play. And then we need to overload those sides to give him support even those, those, I mean, we need a Philip Lomb. We need somebody running down the wing who knows 100% that Aaron Robbins is not going to pass him the ball. So that's really what you have to do. But if you get those that, that left back or that right back to back up because they have to respect the run, now Christian can play. He never had any of those moments. And every time he got going, he got hit. Uh, first one was, a, I forgot the kid's name, kid who plays at Nashville, but that's a yellow card. And, and that should have been right off the bat. But our tactical plan Needed to be altered a little bit right in the middle of that game. They play with a 5-4-1. I get it. I, you know, they, they blocked it up and they made it hard. Uh, and we had the injury to Dest. But uh, these are games where 71% of the, the possession is great. But it has to be with purpose. And we have to be willing to draw them out a little bit. Not let them let themselves get pinned. Uh, if we're going to play with one forward... And they're going to play like that. We're never going to get on the end of a cross until there's a, a transitional moment. So, Dax McCarty basically said it at halftime. I don't know if you caught that. He goes, "Hey, how about two forwards?" There's an idea. I'm like, "There you go. Get the ball wide. Get it in, and let's let's get some more bodies in front of that that net." And Greg said it at halftime. We we got to create some more chaos in front of their goal. But I just wasn't happy with um, with the overall plan. Uh, and we're going to start criticizing these guys for their their performances. Uh, but we need to be braver. We need to have a, a plan to get Christian the ball in places where he can play and run. Uh, and until we do that, we're going to struggle. We're going to struggle. That's always been the wrap on Greg. Greg knows that. Greg knows that he's coming, that his teams don't score enough goals. Uh, and when Christian Pulisic goes on the record as saying we need to have more ideas, he's talking to his coach. That's what's happening there. Um, and that's the first time we've seen that. But uh, I'm not worried at all. I'm really not. And I, I, I do think, and I actually think we might tie or lose to Honduras. Now, you, you go back in time, we had a stretch in 2002 in our best ever World Cup. And I think we lost to Mexico, lost to uh, Costa Rica, and then we, we lost at home to Honduras, 3 to 2, and Ernie Stewart missed the penalty kick. So you know, it happens. It happens because this is not easy qualification. But I'm not worried about the overall team. I think eventually we'll figure it out. I just wish that we would have come out of the gates. A little better
2: so there's a lot to unpack there that you just said but i want to start tactically with what you said and greg having a plan b it's great to come out and have a plan a but you know once you get punched in the mouth how do you respond
0: right.
2: and i it it seems like from what i've gathered from you is you're a fan of the three at the back and then wing backs. am i correct
0: yeah well that's the personnel we have
2: right so, and, and you think that's going to that's gonna cause the overloads for Christian Pulisic, but what kind of tactical changes do you think they need to make in that in that situation? If you were to implement that plan B, do we need to stray away from the wingbacks, or what do you think needs to happen there?
0: No, I, I think when, when you look at, at playing a 3-4-3, right, or even a 3-5-2, and, and the, the assumption is when you play a 3-5-2, you've, you've increased this opportunity for Christian to be the, fur, the furthest of the five but I don't like to play that way. I I, I think that we chase a lot and we don't have the ability to be in these rest pockets where we can force the ball where we want it to go. And then having seven, if they're only going to play with one forward and that's, what's going to happen. And we have three guys back there. We got that covered. But if you go into games and you really say, Oh, the worst thing that can happen is Alfonso Davies can get one-on-one with somebody. And it happens twice you have to tactically address that. In the first half people will say Dest had him under control. No, Tyler Adams had him co- under control. And he was covering four Dest on every occasion. The reason why I think 3 to 4 gives us a, a falling into a 5 allows us to be in that hold spring mode a little bit better. And and if you if you have Yedlin or you have Dest and you, I think this be, this Bello kit ain't bad either. And I think Robinson can go all the way out if if we wanted to. He can run the way. And and he can also play defense, which is fine, but if it's if it's if it's Robinson and maybe Brooks and, and uh, maybe McKenzie, I, I don't know what that three would look like. It could be, I, I think a lot of us were, were expecting to be very different uh, going into this last game, but the wingback scenario allows us to create the overloads when Christian gets the ball in a wild left spot, almost in a false nine, but he can float in there if he has to and come find the game. The second that he comes and finds the game, what happens? They follow him and now you have, the overload, or, and you have the, the, the overlap in someone like Robbins, who's actually done a pretty good job over there. So my point is, we don't have to marry ourselves to a four-two-three-one or four-three-three three, or anything. We have to be able to, to switch it on the fly and throw people off. Right now, we're way too predictable. Everybody knows what we're going to do. Everybody knows exactly how we're going to play. How great is it when you, you are able to flip it? Now, the other flip side to this whole conversation is, when is Greg going to have a chance to train that? Never. Never. And that's the rub with being a national team coach, is you get guys from 12 different teams with 12 different philosophies and six different systems, and then you have to figure it out in three days? That's the hesitancy of, of Greg saying, look, I'm, I'm not too comfortable with going to three in the back and getting burned on it, because I haven't had enough time to work on it. And the irony of that is, if I were to ask both of you guys, what is the greatest World Cup game we've Result we've ever had, ever. What would that be in your guys' eye?
2: It would be the game winner, Laynon Donovan, I believe, against <sighs> Ghana for me. No, you like that
0: one? You like? Okay, so I thought, I thought, this is what I thought you'd say 2 0 two against Mexico in 2002. Now, the irony of that game is the fact that we had ran into a scenario through injuries and yellow cards that we didn't have a right back. We played a three back system and we completely threw off Mexico. And, they had, and and Bruce Arena looked like a genius, and he had to do that, and that was his out, like, well, i got to do it. I, I don't have enough players. So I'm going to play with three in the back, and Claudio Arena played uh, right back in that game, right wing back. Ends up resulting in being a part of the goal that he gives to Wolfie that, that McBride finishes. My point is, is Greg Burholt played in that game. More than anybody, Greg should know the value of throwing people off and the effect it has on opponents that have you figured out. And I guarantee you, Honduras has got us figured out right now. We throw, we throw a curveball at them. This is a whole different game. Having the ability immediately to say, okay, that didn't work or it did work, but let's switch. And now when they're going, wait a second, are they, what system are they playing? We switch it again on them. Doing that is, is, is what I'm, I'm, I'm in favor of. And always consistently uh, making the game easier for Christian Pulisic, because right now, Right now, we're expecting him to save the day, pull a rabbit out of the hat every week, and that's not fair. It's not fair at all. We're not, we're not doing him justice at all, and he's going to get hurt if we keep doing this.
2: So, so what I hear you saying is that our formations need to be fluid. They need to be ever-changing throughout the game based on the situation, and that's, that's great, and I completely support that, and I, I love that. I think we should be interchanging all the time, which in that, formations are changing, but does that mean the game plan changes? Because I'm a crew fan. Well, I watch.
0: You, you, stay there, you stay true to your principles, you know, and, and that's if, – if, if you really stay true to it, these guys are good enough and they're, they're able to do it. I'm, I'm going to forget about – might have been eight to ten years ago. I can't remember but Mancini did this at Man City, and he switched in a three-back system, and a couple of guys complained. And then his immediate comment was they should – they're professionals. They should be able to figure this out, and he got blasted for that. And that's the kind of fear that a coach will have in making a big move like that, a bold move like that. Because he hasn't had enough time to work at it, and and it doesn't go well, you got to you got to face the music, and he's already uh, that music's blasting. So it, it's it's a it's a tough it's a tough deal to get into. Now you said you were a crew fan, and and you understand what because uh, if this is a Caleb Porter conversation, I can't wait.
2: Oh boy. I I did have somebody in my Twitter mentions asking me to ask you about your relationship with Caleb Porter. But before we get into that, what I was going to say is it's very possession oriented football with Greg Berhalter. And we talked about the 71 or 72% possession against Canada and them just sitting in and absorbing all of that pressure. And I was just doing some research after the game. I like to look at numbers and things like that and then analyze from there. So I looked at what essentially are normal formation was in possession and it was essentially a three, four, three in possession with Brooks, Tyler Adams dropping in and Robinson to his right. Those guys combined completed 258 passes. And then you go up the field and look at the passing combinations between the front three and the midfielders. And it just wasn't there. And on top of that, I saw a stat that was really, really telling for me. And you said, uh, possession without a purpose, and for me, possession without a purpose is football insanity, to be honest with you. But one-third of our possessions in the, in the Canada game ended in the attacking third. Only one-third of our possessions ended there. So I, I think that's telling for me.
0: Yeah, no, it is very telling. And, and one of the things that, that I think, if I was standing in front of that team uh, tomorrow or today or anything, I would say congratulations. You can all trap and pass the ball. And you can do it perfectly, and boy, your technique's great. Now, can we get the ball where it needs to be a little quicker? Can we have a sense of urgency? Because if you really think about um, from some of these possessions that we had, and they did a better job in the second half, where there was just you know it was either Brooks or people were trying to bypass that that and just just skip the pass to pass to pass. Let's get to where it needs to go a little bit quicker. But if you really make to my point about Christian, for example, if Christian's starting point was in a wide position almost just doing a Ronaldo over there and everybody understands that we're trying to get the ball to him and as the defense kind of slides over and and, and makes that separation 30 40 yards and we're able to get the ball to him quickly and his first touch is right at somebody and we're putting them on their heels right now every time Christian Pulisic gets the ball he's going backwards because he has to he has to come back and show and the ball is so so it's getting to them so slow that these guys have had the ability to shift and move. Two seconds is an eternity in a game like that. Think about how far away that guy is t- you know, from you. two seconds away when he's, you know, half a second away. So getting yeah. the ball to these guys quicker, allowing them to do their thing, it should be the, the number one principle uh, of, of how we go into these games. And we're not doing it. It's just great that we can move the ball around and you call it insanity. I, I, I take those moments to go get another beer. I, I, I'm like, okay, what are we doing? I mean, this is, let me know when you guys want to go forward. Is someone going to blow a whistle? What are we, what are we doing? You know, so I get frustrated just like everybody else with, uh, with that kind of stuff. But your your stats actually are telling because that tells us that, that other teams, if you were to ask, if you ask Germany, what's your philosophy? They say, um, as soon as we win the ball back, we'd like to score in seven to eight seconds. Canada. That's, that's our idea, boom, 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 boom. You know, and we're going right. to go. Yeah, and, and that's actually an, an understood principle that they, they that when we win the ball, we're going. Not when we win the ball back. Finally, we all go. Ooh, hey, keep it, keep it, keep it. And that stuff, that stuff is not going to win you games.
1: So, with that said, I mean, it, and after watching the way that Canada sat back and and just outperformed us in that block, it seems almost simple. That you know you you want to try to drag that defender out, or you want to make that run to pull somebody out to open up space, right? What do you think that the mentality was, you know, to to not be able to accomplish that? I mean, it happened one time where John Brooks pings the ball over the right hand side of Sebastian Legette, and they ended up getting, I think, one of their only run of play opportunities. I think it's uh, Pulisic hit off the post. W- one of the only times that that happened, it was where they bypassed that midfield, got over top and in behind and then we're able to make something happen there. Why do you think that we didn't see more of that? Why do you think that we were so scared to find something in the midfield or, or, or to find an opportunity out wide like that or over the top? You, in, said and you just said
0: it, scared. scared. And so, not being. And you'll learn this if you play on the team for a long time like I did. You, you, and and I would, and not to pick on Brooksy, uh, but on the other side of the ball, on their goal. Look. I mean, he did. A, it's a big tactical discussion for sure about, about how the Edlin gets beat, how uh, Davies gets behind him, how Robinson doesn't slide quick enough. And then, and then uh, you can really get into Brooks' uh, uh, positioning on that because the, the truth is, and, and whether he admits this or not, he was not brave on that play. That was a left-footed center back saying, I'm not going there because if, he, if this guy puts it on the ground, I'm going to end up putting my right foot on it, and it's going to be an own goal. Now, that's what he's thinking, whether he wants to admit that or not. That's what anybody would have wanted to put him in a position where he could make a mistake like that. He knew he knew that he chose not to finish the play. That to me is, is and, and I will say this, that was that was not brave. And that's that's something that I would address with him directly and and say, look, we'll all understand if your weak foot ends up being the deflection goal. But a own goal is the same as a goal, by the way. It's the same result. So be brave and get in there where you have to go, um, because that's where we need you. Now people can criticize the likes of someone like Marcelo Valboa, who you previously mentioned. That guy's brave. Okay, he's brave. Whether you think he's too slow or whatever your problem is, with no, you're never going to challenge that guy's bravery and commitment and character. And that's what we need right now, guys. We don't need guys deciding in a really crucial moment oh shoot if i go there it might be your own goal yeah it might but we need you to go there we don't need you to think about it we need you to to understand that that is your job um i had a tough time watching that play over and over Um, and i I think you know i think taylor had a shot at him taylor told saying that you know if, if you're uh This isn't good enough. Okay, why, Taylor? Can you explain why? No, you can't. So let me do it. But the the truth is, when you have situations like that in World Cup qualifiers, um, the team needs to be on the same page. They need to be brave, braver. uh, And if we do that, we're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. And sometimes, guys, it's a forced issue. I mean, it's do or die. It didn't work out in Trinidad last time because we had the wrong plan and we got a little unlucky. Let's go back to those goals. I mean, that was pure. It was terrible. But that can happen. Um, but we, we, but if, if this team decides to, to continue on this road, uh, being passive, of not having a sense of urgency and not being smarter about getting the ball where it needs to go, we're going to have to endure a couple more uh, results like that. I'm, I'm not putting this on Greg. i gotta, I got to be honest. i got to be honest. These, these guys, these guys got you can't do anything. You can say it, but if these guys don't do it and they don't dig into their heart and be brave about it, and then stick together, um, then it's never going to work. No, no coach can get a team to play faster if they're not willing to do it. You can whip a horse all day, but he doesn't want to run. He
2: ain't going to run. So if the U.S. national team goes to Honduras tomorrow night, and I, I'm not saying that I'm in favor of Triple G being on the hot seat, but do you think that if we don't go there and get all three, maybe he is on the hot seat? But if not that, at what point is he on the hot seat? If that's ever a thing. Or well, if that will even be beneficial to the team at all. Well, yeah, the other
0: thing you got to look at is why is he on the hot seat? Is it the results? Is it the plan? I mean, look, it, it, I would say this to everybody, and everybody needs to calm down because we are three games into a World Cup qualification process. The last time this happened, we lost 4 0 to Costa Rica. We hit the panic button and we brought Bruce back and we got rid of uh, Clinton. And I don't think people realize that that was the moment we didn't qualify, that, that was it. That was it because we didn't let Jurgen finish the the, the the plan. Now you can say whatever you want about Jurgen Klinsmann. There's a lot of similarities between what's happening to Jurgen, what happened to Jurgen, and what's happening to Greg. And they don't have enough time with their guys. Jurgen Klinsmann would, would, would tire them out with all of the the training. I think Greg's tiring them out with all the mental aspect of this. I mean, I watched them warm up against Mexico. There were 40 people with red tops on that were not players. Who are these people? I mean, it, it, there, there's so many conversations going on that are part of his staff that you've got to be really sure that all that messaging is consistent. And I don't know if that's I was watching Matthew get get a conversation with look like a psychiatrist and then somebody else had to grab him and another guy had to grab him. And that's that that, that can be really, really scary in, in these kind of deals, because the, the messaging has to be has to be right now, Greg. I don't know what that run around the, the, the stadium was all about that was the nervous, like, Oh my God, I got to run some, some energy out. But is that was weird to me. I, I haven't talked to him about it yet, but he's not on the hot seat because of the results yet. Um, the only way that, that, um, that, and I actually think that he will get through this entire uh, world cup qualification. Um, without another blip. I, I, but I do think it's going to get worse before it gets better. I, whether it's for the first 45 minutes against Honduras or the full game, I don't think it, it – but if we spin out of this with a tie or a loss, I mean, there's going to be people out there that, that are, are going to be, you know, calling for his head and say, that's it. You've you got to fire him. Yeah, who are you going to replace him with? Nobody knows this team better than him. You've just spent two years building a culture around this group. you got to let him work, and we've got to calm down because I know how hard the guy works. I know that he sometimes overworks, um, but I do believe that this is a group that is still in the process of figuring each other out. And you're not gonna do it in three games. We're not Arsenal, but uh, we, we certainly are looking like it right now, right? It's, it's, it's a little, it's, it's scary, but I believe in, in Greg's approach. I believe in how hard he has worked to create a culture I think he was very unfortunate with this Reyna um, um, last-second injury and Weston McKinney's antics, which can screw up a game, right? It can screw you up. We need to understand that. Um, going into Honduras, I think they'll have a solid plan, and I think they'll get after it. Uh, if they don't and it doesn't, it's not a favorable result, um, there's going to be a lot of noise. But um, he's got a month to, to recalculate. And that's uh, – that's, that's, in my mind, I'm really hoping we get out of there with a 1-0 one, one win. Um, something late, probably a penalty kick. I, I really think that's what's going to happen. Uh, so, so, he- so,
1: Blake, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here because I don't know if I, I feel like you were going to go with this one, but I'm gonna go ahead. Speaking of of recalculating, obviously with with Weston McKinney now gone, Geo's out, Dest is done uh, for the you know foreseeable future at least. We bring in Jackson Yule. Do you think that's the answer? And if not, who do you see? As kind of that replacement for Weston McKenney or who do we need to bring into this camp that's going to make this team have a have a spark? I think
0: I think they're gauging. Um, it wasn't really about Weston. It was really about gauging how how much Adams has got left in the tank uh, and Kellen Acosta as well. I actually like Kellen Acosta. He just shut up and start you know focusing on the game and start trying to get under everybody's skin. Just play the game, son. Uh, but I do think that. Ewell is there because of the familiarity with the group. Uh, and if, if you go back to uh, even the first couple of games of Nations Cup, um, and even that, I guess, a, a, the game that played against Honduras, you know, there's a really good play in the 27th minute, not to be brain man here. But if you go back and watch it, Ewell makes an unbelievable tackle in a crucial moment. And these are the kind of things that, that, that factor into Greg's decision-making of, of who we bring in that's going to be the best fit, seamless, don't have to really, you know, get too too crazy on the details, but we played against them last time and we had a favorable result with this guy. So let's 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 treat each game in its own little entity and say, hey, let's let's address the problem and or the objective, and so Yule is the right guy for this this uh, uh, this game. So I'm in agreement with that.
2: You explain that you explained that really well because when I first saw Jackson Ewell's name pop up, I'm like, "No, not again, man!" And I was calling for I was calling for Jesus Ferreira or Georgi Mihailovic who have been on a tear in MLS, but maybe that's not what we need in this really in this time.
1: Yeah, you it, just it, have to make it through one more, you know, before yeah, this rest.
0: It's it's um, it's, it would be like being in a baseball team and you got a really important game, you got to win, and everybody's played great right? And you got this unbelievable new pitcher, right? And you got two more outs to get. And you say, do we throw the kid into this, the deep end of the pool? Or we got the other guy who has pitched against these guys a hundred times. And, and he's actually a better matchup. And we're doing the, we're doing the, you know, the money ball thing here. And we're trying to do it. You know, that's what this is. This is really familiarity and understanding of the guys that are going to be around him. It's a familiar face. To a certain extent, it's not somebody from the outside that's saying, hey, I'll, I'll good luck out there. Hey, what do I do? Uh, I, I forgot what he said. We don't have time for that. We need to we need to be, be clear uh, in our messaging. And I, I think uh, that's why you will makes a lot of sense. I mean, is he the best option? Hell no, he's not. He's, he just isn't. And but is he the the option that is is going to get us to tomorrow? Yeah, that's that's what that's all about.
2: That's really good analysis. It's well said, yeah. yeah, really good level-headed analysis of the situation, <laughs> <laughs> more so than how I initially reacted with. But we just have a couple more things before we hop off here. Let's talk about Weston McKinney really quick. Weston McKinney had a... So, so what ESPN and Jeff Carlisle, who's a U.S. soccer correspondent, has come out and said, and it's apparently the official word, is that Weston McKinney spent a night outside of the bubble, and he also brought in unauthorized personnel into the bubble. That's the official word. He's also had a party when he's at Juve in Italy and people weren't happy with him. What are, what are your thoughts on that as a former player? You know, it's, it seemed like you guys used to have, like to have a really good time yeah, so Weston, Weston might fit first in try to bring a
0: girl back to the hotel. Okay. <laughs> that's that's uh,
2: but like a week. It's a week, right? Huh?
0: But look, and I'm telling you right now, if there was no COVID involved in this, I think, I think he's still with the team. That's my opinion. I think yeah. he's scolded. Um, and I, I, think, I think what needs to happen with Weston, um, and, and I'll say this now. I was actually going to save this for my own podcast, but they're kind of like a boy band. If you really think about it, with Tyler Adams, with Gio, and Christian, and that's our four, right? You're the, you're the future, right? Don't be the guy that goes solo. You're not talented enough to go solo. You're just not. And you got to understand that you need these guys just as much as they need you if we're going to be successful. Now, going off and doing your own thing and, and, and breaking the, the COVID protocol at, U, at Uvia, and then you had, uh, had Pierlo had to, had to step in. He's forcing the issue with his third coach now, right? Allegri has already gone public and said he's unhappy with his training habits and his eating habits. You don't do that in Italy, man. It, you just don't. You, if you're ever going to, to, to really dive into being a, a, a and, and, and really immerse yourself in your craft. And it's, and, and, and it's about tactics and it's about learning to be a better footballer. It's not about what kind of clothes you wear and what kind of parties you throw and, and how many video games you can play, Weston. It's not, we need you to be a soccer player. Now, the reality also is, is we should have expected this. You go from making 60 grand a year at FC Dallas, and now you're making 60 grand a week or 60 grand every two weeks, and, and you're playing with Ronaldo, Ibala, and, uh, and you got talent all around you. Problem with Weston McKinney is he thinks he's a superstar. He needs to come down to earth and realize that he's a role player in the national team. He take a, take a page out of Vidal's book, all right? The guy won everything, everywhere. Why? Crazy haircut, but he did his job. And he got the ball where it needed to go. And he was a fighter. And he got on on the end of a couple of headers. And everybody said, well, I didn't know the guy with the mohawk could jump that high. But guess what? He was on a team that had talent all around him. And he let them do their jobs. And he did his. And he earned the respect of everybody around him. He's got a big problem, guys. They lost 1-0 to Empoli. He was a halftime sub. He's going back to Italy. And he probably won't play at all before he comes back to a qualifier. So the message has got to be clear. Get your act together, kid. Hit the reset button. You're not as good as you think you are. You're way overpaid for your talent level. Someone needs to say that to him. You need to say that out loud. This isn't an NFL guy that's going to have a lot of chains and buy a car that he can't afford. You can't do that right now. You're a soccer player at the beginning of your career, and you're trying to build a foundation. Okay? We don't have time for this kind of antics. We know that you're in a character, and you like to go on Instagram, and you like to do crazy stuff, but we don't have time for crazy right now. We don't. We need people to lock in. Now, the other thing I would say, and I saw Landon Donovan um, uh, wait in on this. Landon needs to stay out of this. You, you went on hiatus in the middle of fricking uh, qualifiers. You don't get to have a comment, Landon. So someone needs to tell him, shut up.
2: Oh, love that. Iron, baby. Love, it.
1: <laughs> love that. You,
0: you baby. do not. Entitled people don't get to talk about other people. Entitled. That doesn't work. We're not going to eat that. No one's going to swallow that. We, he's a separate issue. And just stay it. Let, 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 uh, let the coach handle it. But don't say this kind of selfishness is beyond me. What are you talking about, buddy?
2: Mm. You heard it here, folks. Straight from Eric Winona's mouth, baby. That's, I think that's kind of like a preview to what the, the brashness you're going to be bringing on your podcast. Am I right?
0: Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I, I, here's the thing. I worked for, uh, you know, I've been censored and, and muzzled for 15 years in for ESPN and Fox. And there was always some scenario where they told me, "Yeah, hey, you can't say that. And I would always say, why? And then I got my wrist slapped a bunch of times. I was relieved of my duties a few times. I was put on... Uh, uh, paid leave or an unpaid leave a few times but the reality is is that um, in, in networks those are partnerships that dictate the conversation so when you see Moa and and Gooch and Clint and and Stu got Stu and Charlie Davies try to try to you know articulate what's going on out there you got to realize that they have been told to stay positive so the reason why Gooch started his sentence the other night the other night with objectively speaking, that's, that's, that's coach speak for, okay, I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to say something that you told me not to say. That's what just happened there. Clint is just like, I don't know, man. I agree agree with him. I agree with him. Can I put the glasses back on? I mean, that was, that was a, that was a bad show because the team played bad and those guys didn't know how to handle it.
2: Well, if you guys aren't already listening, if you guys are listening to us, you guys definitely need to tune into For the Win by Eric Winaldo. We'll be tuning in. You guys make sure to do the same thing. But look, you're the fourth leading goal scorer all time for the U.S. Men's National Team. We got guys here at this camp like P. Fox, Sargent, and Pepe. You know, is, are they going to step up? Are they going to be our guys? You mentioned two-striker system. I don't know. What about guys like Zardes, DK, or Giacchini? Who are our guys that are going to take us to, to the promised land.
0: <laughs> well, look, do you want real truth be known, everybody's yelling about who's going to score goals. I don't think it matters. I, when you get Aronson scoring the goal that he scored the other day, when, when we actually had a sense of urgency, we got it wide and got it in, all you got to do is run in front of the damn goal and you score on this team. It, and, the, and it's got to be coming at you from, from Geo on one side and, and Christian on the other with an overlap. I mean, how hard is that to figure out? As a forward, all you got to really do is get in front of the damn net. Um, I'm not a big fan of Brennan Harrison. I don't think he's good enough to be on the national team. That's just my take. Uh, I think that Pepe is, is, is everybody's going to say he's too young. Yeah. Okay. Did they say that about, you know, who, who would be a, a great example of put him on the field and let's see what he can do uh, at a young age. And it was like, Oh my God, he can play. Look, it won't matter who the forward is. It will matter what the plan is to get the ball wide and get it in. And all it's going to do is hit you in, in, in the kneecap and, and you're going to be a hero. So, um, yeah, don't get me on being the fourth all-time score Listen, if people don't know this, but some some statistician at Fox told me this. It blew my mind. I, I only played forty-four times at the forward position for the U.S. national team. I played the rest of the damn time uh, at left wing, right back, left uh, wing back. Uh, I never got to play full So it, it's 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 one of those things where and how many goals do you think I scored in all those games? Zero. All right. So if I got 34 out of 44, who knows what I've been able to do if they would just to let me play my damn position. So now, now you got me mad. Now up. <laughs> me. I mean, Josie Elton? I mean, that's why Clint. Clint is better than everybody. Clint is is by far, um, for me, he's pound for pound the best player we've ever had. He he didn't give a crap. He was willing to try stuff, but he had the talent inside him to do it. Uh, not to pick on Landon, I just think Clint was better. Um, but, and he did it at a higher level. He did it, he did it, uh, uh at Tottenham and at Fulham. And so it's it, for me, it's not even a contest, but it, it, is, is Sergeant going to be able to be that guy? We I mean, he need help too, right? If Pepe steps in there, then we, we got to provide the kind of help and the service. You can't score without service. You can't. And, um, you know, I was fortunate. I had guys that knew how to cross the ball, Arnie Stewart and Kobe Jones. And that, that, that made my life a hell of a lot easier, but, um, what am I talking about? I was one crossing it, but <laughs> the uh, the truth is, uh, I, I think we're going to be okay um, as long as we, we you know, as long as we get the rest of those pieces figured out, and if we get the rest of the pieces figured out, we'll start scoring goals again.
1: All right. Well, from Eric all himself, it's not it's not it's not time to hit the panic button.
0: No, no, not time
1: to hit the panic button.
0: The panic button results in us not qualifying again. Everybody calm down. Let's get through it. It's, it's Honduras. Uh, and then the next, the next three set is where things really turn, uh, turn in our favor. So it's, it's a long road. It's 14 games. Relax. Right.
2: Yeah. Got it? Uh, I think you said it earlier in the conversation, but, Eric, you can talk, my man. What is, your, <laughs> what is your official score for the U.S. Men's National Team versus Honduras?
0: 1-1. Uh, one, one. I think it's one one. Uh, I think I think people are going to freak out and panic, but they'll get a goal on us uh, and, and we will get a squirrely goal. But uh, three points in three games is going to scare everybody. But not me. I think I think we're still in the process of figuring out this and it's going to be saving private Greg uh, from that point on to see if he sticks around and everybody doesn't uh, chop his head off. And I don't think they will. I, th- I think he's 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 level headed. Uh, he works very hard. Those aren't the reasons why he should stay in the job. He needs to get results, and he knows that.
2: Mike D., score prediction.
1: I, I want to say that they're going to draw. But you said it earlier, Eric, and, and I, incline, I was inclined to agree with you. I think they're going to lose this game. <laughs>
2: oh, God.
1: I don't, I, I don't want to believe it. I, really I don't
0: want to believe it, but this is where we are.
1: This you know, Exactly.
0: And, and by the way, I've got six percent left on my computer, so I hope I, I we got to clean it up real quick. Yeah, or, or almost just, done.
1: Got yeah. to
0: get to work. But, to wrap it up. Well, let, let's wrap it up and let's not worry. Let's let's reconvene after the game and we can have it, whatever you're drinking. That, that wine looked pretty good, so <laughs> we we can have one of those and and, and just all hit the the calm down button. You know, I, I did this one time with my team in Atlanta. We we screwed up really bad, and I brought him in and I got one of those uh, things. Uh, that was easy. And I made everybody hit it. And I said, look, as bad as that was, we need to hit the reset button, forget about it, convenient amnesia, move on. We won the next game 4-1, to one, and we ended up winning the league later on that year. So it, sometimes you have blips in the screen, but you have to, to keep trusting the boys, keep trusting our manager, uh, trust the process. I know everybody hates to say that, but I, I believe in it. I think oh, least, I love it. I love it. Love it. We'll have the The next time we talk, we'll have the Caleb Porter conversation, but not tonight.
2: Not tonight. No, we'll save that for a later date, but I will go ahead and give my prediction. You guys got a tie, a loss. I got to go with the win just to, of just course. to be the other guy here, two to one U.S. Men's national team. All right. So we got three different results here. We'll write them down. We'll see which one we will see which one hits, but Mike D do you have any closing thoughts for Eric Winolda? Uh,
1: just thank you so much, Eric, for taking some time out of your busy schedule and joining us on MLS gone wild. And for really going uh, into a deep dive on your thoughts on the ML, uh, MLS and your um, past history in MLS and the U.S. men's national team.
0: Yeah, it's it's my pleasure. I'm, I'm, I'm full of stories. I got more stories than George Burns. I'm not even dead yet. So <laughs> we'll, we'll do it next time. All
2: right, Eric. Well, thank you so much for joining MLS a while, man.
0: You got it. I'll see you guys again. Be well. All right. All right. Take care. You Got it.
2: Listeners, thanks for tuning in to MLS Gone Wild Season 3, Episode 20, featuring U.S. men's national team legend Eric Winalda. The U.S. men's national team take the field again tomorrow night in a must win World Cup qualifier at Honduras. Be sure to tune into that match and cheer on the Stars and Stripes, man. Until next time, y'all take care. Peace.